Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose. Impact is where your unique best self meets the world and contributes to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Rebecca Barnes-Hogg. Rebecca went from corporate America to making sure that no small business is held back because they're unable to find the talented people they need. Her passion for hunting, in her words, purple unicorns, that's ideal employees, shows in the transformations she helps small businesses achieve. Rebecca has been featured in Business News Daily, U.S. News and World Report, and CBS Small Business Pulse. She's the author of The YOLO Principle, The Ultimate Hiring Guide for Small Business. So welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. I'm delighted that you're here. Well, thanks, Ursula. I am delighted to be here. It's a great day, and hopefully we can make it even better for our listeners. Absolutely. I know you will be able to do that because I've read your book. The uh, tell, tell us about how you came to become uh, a, essentially this consultant about hiring for small business from your background in corporate. Okay. Well, it's a really interesting journey, and I took quite a long time to to get there. And along the way, I learned a lot about the way people behave and interact in organizations. And I worked with a lot of smart people who were put in the wrong positions. And I lumped myself into that category because I had a lot of jobs. In fact, my parents would be horrified every time I call them and be all excited. Hey, got a new job. And they're like, but why are you leaving the old one? You know, because back, you know, in their generation, you got a job and you stayed there 25 years, you retired, you got the watch and, you know, you lived out your retirement on your pension happily ever after. And times are so different now. Oh my goodness, aren't they? And the thing is, is that I was smart. I wouldn't call myself brilliant, but I was really good at what I did. I just was continually put in the wrong environment. It didn't align with my personal values, my mindset, my behaviors. And while I always did well, and I can honestly say I was only ever let go once, and that was a mutually agreeable situation, I was constantly in this position where I found myself liking my work, but dreading going there every day. And so I started looking at the process of how we interview, how we hire, how we choose the people to be on our teams. And I realized that there was this big disconnect in terms of how we hired. And when I left corporate America in 2010 or I guess 2011, I really wanted to have an impact and change how that was being done, particularly in small business. I grew up in a small town and I saw the impact that small businesses have on the economics of our small towns and and even to some extent our cities where, you know, they, they come and go so quickly and the statistics are alarming and the number of small businesses that will fail in the first one to three years. And when you look at 
a number of the reasons, you know, there are the operational sides, but a lot of the reasons stemmed from they just couldn't get the right people. And so throughout my career, I, I watched and I listened and I posed these what if scenarios to the people I worked with and gradually shifted my thinking about this and put it into a process, which was the basis for the book, the YOLO principle, and change that dynamic of hiring because someone has the right resume or we can check off the skills on a list to the person first. Do their attitudes, their behaviors, and their mindsets align with my company and my company's vision and how my team works together? And I think I didn't pioneer this um, in my career. I followed a lot of thought leaders like Tony Shea and others who really got that corporate culture piece right. But I distilled that down into really easy, digestible steps that any business, small or large, can actually use and implement to be able to get that alignment and hire the right people. And ultimately, when you have a great team, we all know that the magic that happens when everything just works the way it's supposed to, and you get that synergy where everybody is doing what they should be, they like what they're doing, they're engaged, so you get better customer service, you get higher efficiency, higher productivity, you get a lot more innovation and creativity, and ultimately, your business is more profitable and more successful, and so that's my vision. I, I want to really make sure no small business is ever held back because of the problems with people. So my goal is to solve that hiring dilemma and get them on the road to success. Well, and one of the things that we touched on this a moment, a little bit before we, we got on the call, but um, entrepreneurs are often terrible at hiring. And I personally have had a bit of a sketchy background in that regard. Occasionally, I've hit the mark exactly right on and other times it's been a disaster so <laughs> what, what is it that you think what is it about entrepreneurs and small business owners that you think uh, have creates this situation for for many of us I think the first part of it is the clarity piece that's the foundational principle underlying the yellow principle is that you have to understand what you want for your business. And as entrepreneurs, we're taught to do this in terms of, you know, what's our vision for the business? You know, who are we going to serve? What's our strategy? What's our product? How are we going to earn revenue? You know, what's our business model? All of those things, you know, get drilled into our heads, you know, be clear about all of these things. But you rarely hear in any of these programs for entrepreneurs get clear about who the people are going to be that help you achieve that. And that's the, the missing piece. And, and a good example of this is one of my very first clients owned a spa for dogs. And her business model was phenomenal. And her goal was to eventually franchise it. Yet she couldn't get it to the operating state she needed because she couldn't keep a receptionist. And that's what she told me. Mm -hmm. She's like, I need your help getting a receptionist. So when I sat down with her, you know, we went through what I call my insight meeting and we talked about 
the expectations for the position and how she was hiring for it, what she tried, why it wasn't working, what the problems were. And she said to me, you know, Rebecca, the one thing I want this person to do that I have yet to get is for them to just say to every customer, would you like to add on X service to this visit? And I said, well, okay, let's think about that. What if that question got asked and 30% of your customers said yes to a $25 add-on service. What would that do to your revenue? And she said, well, it'd be over a hundred and probably $35,000, $40,000. And I said, okay, what would that do for your business? She said, I wouldn't have cash flow problems anymore. I wouldn't have stress like I have now. I can go to sleep at night. I can go home and see my husband, things like that. And I said, okay, so let's look at the person you're putting into that position. Are you screening for a sales mindset? And she said, no, it's a receptionist, not a salesperson. And I said, well, that's the insight you missed. <laughs> right. You are hiring a salesperson. And that one little shift in her thinking made a huge difference. So that's the piece I think most entrepreneurs just miss is they, they don't have that clarity about what they truly need. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things you say in the book is that you, you think people should think like a marketer when you're putting together the job ad and uh, even talking about the, the position when you're first presenting it to the person. Is that Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, our economy has really rebounded from the 2008 to 2010 or so, you know, the recession period we have. And basically, if you look at the unemployment numbers right now, nationwide, they're hovering somewhere under 5%. And in some areas, they're as low as four or even lower than that. So that's basically considered economically full employment. And what that means is your employees are working for someone else. So you can't put a job ad out there like we used to do in the old days and have people apply. So we what, have what to do you mean? Go. What do you mean employees, your employees are working for someone else? What do you mean by that? Well, they already have jobs. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, we're, right. we're pretty much at full employment. Right, so as, they're, as yeah. they're looking for a job with, and mm-hmm. may see your ad, they're coming from a place where they already have one. Gotcha. Right, and they may not even be looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Those are what, what we call in the recruiting field, the passive candidates. Right. So the people you want to work for you, number one, have a job already and probably aren't actively looking or if they are, you know, they might have a Google alert set up or something like that where if something looks interesting to them, they might check it out and apply. So what used to happen back in, you know, probably five, 10 years ago is you could put an ad on a job board and you'd get a flood of resumes and you could pick and choose. Well, now, you don't get a flood of resumes. If you put an ad on a job board, you might be lucky to get 10 or 15 applications and they may not even be remotely qualified because there are a lot of people out there that just apply to everything under the sun. If one word in the ad matches something they're looking at, then they apply whether they're qualified or not. Mm. So you waste a lot of time. So if you want to reach those people that are kind of sort of looking, you have to make it so appealing that they're going to, pick up their mobile phone or go online. They're going to click the link. They're going to call. They're going to look for more information. You have to prompt them to action. And that's what marketers do with us, right? Mm-hmm. Like McDonald's is great at that. They know exactly who their target is and they know how to advertise to that and they know how to get them in the door. So we as 
business owners need to do the same thing to get the employees we want in our door. We need them to notice us, to be attracted to us, to get excited by what we're doing. And that requires a lot of different thinking, something that we're not trained to do and that we don't always think of intuitively because the default is I need to hire, so I'm going to put up a help wanted sign or I'm going to put an ad on a job board. And one of the things you you talk about is Telling us, telling the story of what you'll get if you work here. What will what your will your experience be like? And that's something marketers are great at is kind of painting a picture for people. Exactly. And when you think about what engages people, it's storytelling. It's really about the story. And can I identify with that story? Does it pull out some emotion in me? And if you're not triggering that in potential candidates, you're, you're missing out on some of the best candidates out there because you're never getting in front of them. Mm-hmm. So w- when you're actually in the process of hiring and, and you do put together a story that draws the right people and um, you're, you're in that position of having folks in front of you, what are, I, it's something you talk about in the book, which is a great title and drew my attention is, what are the best questions that most employers never ask? What's an example of that? Because, uh, you know, we have our standard list of questions and uh, you're, you have some unique things that you recommend including. I think there's not one best question to ask. I think it goes back to knowing what information you need to determine whether this person is right for you. Mm-hmm. So that means asking questions in a way that gives you the information you need, that gets that candidate telling you their story, because that's what you want. You don't want to hear some answer they researched on the internet. So one of the questions that people frequently ask, and everyone hates it, is the strengths and weaknesses question, <laughs> right, right? Right. We get that all the time. Right. And you have but, to think of some way to talk about a weakness without sounding too bad. And, and if, if you can, turn it into a, how the employer might view it as a strength. Right, it's always the right. challenge. Right. And so in my mind, that's just a waste of everyone's time. Mm-hmm. And candidates are time crunched just like we are. So you really want to maximize the use of the questions and think about the words you use. So I take that, what are your weaknesses question? And I change it into, could you tell me about a time when you didn't have the knowledge or skills that were required to complete a task, which is really a a weakness in disguise. Mm You know, if I don't understand how to do something, that's an area where I don't have a strength. So the answer to that question gives you so much more information that can be rich in detail. You can find out how do they, it's, it's also a problem. So mm-hmm. how does that person approach a problem? Right. What do they do when they're faced with the unknown? Can they adapt to change? How flexible are they? What's their thinking style? What do they do when they're stressed? Or Right, yeah. right. I mean, look at the information you can pull out of the answer to one question. And from the question, the answer, it goes back to those behaviors, those mindsets, those attitudes. You can see whether or not their description of that problem, that weakness, that not knowing, 
do they exhibit the behaviors you're looking for in your staff? So the approach might be from one person is I just go to my supervisor, my manager, the owner, and I ask them what I should do. Well, you may or may not want that depending on your business. You might want that person to come to you and ask that question. So that might be a good thing. But in other businesses, that might be the last thing you want. You want people who can take initiative, solve problems on their own, be self-directed learners, you know, all of those kinds of things. And if you ask that weaknesses question, you never get to those rich details of who that person is. So while I don't think there's one best question to ask, I think the best way to approach answering or asking those questions is to know what you need to learn from the answer before you even draft a question. Mm, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Well, is is there are there red flags that you should look for during an interview that might be indicating that someone's not a good fit? Yeah, I you know I recommend that before you start interviewing, you define those core behaviors that you want. And I give an example in the book where I define everybody wants people who are high performers. So I give an example of what a high performer looks like and what a low performer looks like. So one of the qualities in a high performer that I look for is someone who can adjust quickly to changing conditions, demands on their time, that reaction to stress. And then I define the low performer, so I have that spectrum, so I can rate people on the spectrum, and I can listen for those flags that tell me that this person could be a low performer because they may react negatively to that change. They might be slow to adapt, or they might show signs of resistance. So in that question I asked earlier, you might get an answer that would pose a red flag that might say something like, you know, I take a really long time to learn technology, so I need to, you know, make sure that there are funds available. I can go take a class. I can maybe have a mentor who can work with me one-on-one -on -one or someone to constantly double-check my work or go to to ask questions. So that might be a red flag in the answer that this person is gonna be on your low performer end of the spectrum rather than your high performer end. Mm -hmm. So having that spectrum defined in advance goes a long way towards helping you identify a red flag in an interview. Mm -hmm. Well, one, one thing that I, one term that I love that you use throughout the book is the purple unicorn, which is the oh. <laughs> ideal employee. And having that in mind as the high performing end of the spectrum is really valuable because then you know how close this person is to what you really ideally would want. Right. And, and it, you know, a lot of people say there are no purple in unicorns, and that's that is correct. <laughs> but you can find someone who might be, you know, a blue unicorn that <laughs> has a potential to become your purple unicorn. So, right. you know, you want to get as close as you can, and you're never going to find 100% of the time the purple unicorn. But if you know what you're looking for, you've got a method to know whether or not you found it. And right. I think it's Alice in Wonderland, the Cheshire Cats is, you know, if you don't know where you're going, how will you ever know when you get there? Right. 
And it's the same thing with your employees. If you don't know what your purple unicorn looks like, how will you ever know whether or not you found one? Mm-hmm. Another thing that you cover in the book that I think is so valuable, among other things, is that you talk about the cost of hiring. And it's something that we hear about and we hear that, yes, you can spend a lot of time, energy, and money getting someone into your organization and then it turns out they're not a good fit. Can you walk us through maybe just as examples a couple of things that entrepreneurs tend to not think of in advance about the cost of hiring? Because that helps people plan, you know, is this it's not just a question of someone's salary. There are other costs around it that'll help them make a good decision about whether this is the time to hire. Yeah. And I see that unfortunately a lot where a business owner gets excited, they need help, they rush out, they hire someone, and then they realize, wow, this is, there's a lot more to it. So once you hire an employee, you have a bunch of taxes that you're required to pay. Mm -hmm. Uh, You as an employer have to pay the 7.65% of salary for their social security contribution. Depending on your size, there's federal and state unemployment taxes. You may also need to have workers' comp insurance depending and that varies by state so you would need to check state rules there to find out whether or not you are required and, and there's a very small threshold of employees to trigger that workers comp then you may need to think about things like benefits because a lot of employees have come to expect health insurance mm-hmm. as part of their salary paid time off vacation time sick leave holidays You might want to think about, um, you know, any retirement contributions or retirement plan setup costs to get employees, you know, make your package more attractive to them and get them in the door. So all of those things have costs, but there's also the cost of not hiring. So you, you need to think about what that does to your business if you don't hire that person. So you have to know a lot of numbers when you start hiring so you can make those informed decisions about whether you can financially afford it. And if you can't, then it's time to think of some other creative ways to get the help you need until you can get to that financial point where you can pay all the different taxes and workers' comp insurance and all of those other things that come into play. And then the other part of this, the other cost that you might want to look at is um, business insurance that covers errors and omissions for your employees, because now it's not just you in your business. Mm -hmm. You're turning the keys over to someone else, and you want to have insurance that covers anything that might occur based on maybe what you've done or your employees have done and, and that sort of thing. And that can be a significant amount of money. So those are all good things to, to keep in mind. So yeah, that's great. Well, I, in, in, uh, I wanted to spend a little bit of time also talking about your business and how you came to, to do that. I know that you, um, I was really intrigued at the beginning when you said that one of the reasons you left corporate is because you didn't feel you could operate out of your own values. And so can you tell us what values you're bringing into your business? I I always believe that impact is based on uh, 
what you hold is important, that that influences our behavior, whether we're conscious of it or not. And the more conscious you are, the more you can act out of those values. So what do you value and, and bring into your business? My, my personal values that I bring to my business, and I think I bring them to every part of my life, are transparency, integrity, honesty, and a willingness to be open to new ideas and new opportunities. My brain has sometimes felt like a, you know, a web browser with about 1500 tabs open. You know, <laughs> I, I drive my husband crazy at times with all my ideas. And what I was finding in corporate America is a lot of that creativity got stifled mm -hmm. because we were stuck in this bureaucratic hierarchy. And particularly older organizations that have been around for a while tend to get stuck in a structure right. and they're not flexible and agile and able to change quickly. So that was a major frustration for me, particularly when it came to hiring where I wanted to change a lot of the processes so that you looked at culture fit first and then you had a technical fit second mm -hmm. because everybody has said it and heard it, but yet we don't do it is you can train for skill, but you cannot train a personality. So that was very frustrating for me. And also the honesty and the transparency. I would run up against a wall all the time where I felt like there were certain things we should share with our employees, but yet the executive team felt like the employees should not know those things. And there's a fine line sometimes between preserving confidentiality of business operations sure. and then the transparency with the employees. And I always operated from the perspective that if the organization is facing problems, who better to help you with the solution than the people who work for you, that mm -hmm. come there every single day, right. spend a huge portion of their life there, they're invested in the organization's success and they're engaged in it because if you've done your job right and you have the right people on board, then those should be your first point of reference for help in solving the problems yeah. that you face. Yeah. And too many times I, I found like, oh, we can't tell them that because they'll get nervous and they'll jump ship and we can't afford to lose people. But I think a lot of times the reverse would have been true. They would have become more committed and more engaged in helping the organization solve that problem and move forward. Yeah. And ironically, that lack of transparency can lead people to leave when they would have stayed if they felt they were making a contribution towards resolving it. I, I worked in corporate myself for nine years, so I'm, I'm familiar with that kind of environment. And that was often the case, especially around big changes like mergers or uh, big shifts mm -hmm. in the business. Right, right. So are there ways that you feel now with the work you're doing with small businesses that you are influencing and impacting the world, the, the people that you work with in ways that you hadn't been able to before? How, how do you see that impact happening? I think one of my biz biggest successes is a, a small business um, based out of Virginia Beach, Virginia, and the woman who owns this business had a huge opportunity to grow her business. She called me. She was all excited. She said, I'm ready to hire. I probably need like four or five people, and I need 
I need your help in hiring them. And as we talked, I think this is what makes me unique because I have that business background first and then the HR and recruiting background second. I slowed her down and we talked about her business and her process and how it looked now and why she felt she needed four people when you know, maybe she really only needed two or those kinds of questions. And at the end of the conversation, she had probably 10 items on a to-do list before she could even start thinking about hiring employees. And she read the book. She's working through the steps. She did have one employee. She involved that person in the process, said it changed, totally changed the dynamic of their relationship and how they were working together, Mm -hmm. which goes back to that honesty, that transparency and involving your employees, that integrity of process. And she's, she's just now, and this is probably about five or six months later, getting to the point where she's like, now I'm ready to hire people. Thank you so much for not taking my money and hiring people before I was ready. Mm. So I think that's the biggest impact I can have with a small business is making sure they're at the point where they're ready, that they have the systems, the processes, and the ability to actually handle all of the responsibilities that come with having a staff. And that uh, it's often something that gets overlooked, the processes and systems. And I mean, some of the reasons entrepreneurs are or have their own businesses is they don't want a lot of that. But there is merit to having certain things in place that are valuable. Yeah. And in her case, they weren't big, involved, elaborate, complex systems. Mm -hmm. It was more putting in place parameters around how she served clients and making that more efficient and using a scheduling software for clients to schedule their service time with her business and how she managed her calendar. And and really, you know, a lot of it was just basic time management kind of things. Mm-hmm. So we weren't talking about big, lengthy, complex systems. They were more geared towards how can I use technology tools to be faster and more efficient. And when you can get those efficiencies, instead of her thought, which she needed, you know, three or four employees, she's probably going to end up with one or two and build on that instead of just jumping right in and hiring four people and then later finding out like she wasn't ready for them and having to let them go. In my mind, that's the worst possible thing because you've now impacted more than one person. You know, you're impacted, but that person and their family is also Mm -hmm. impacted. And that just is a situation that can just literally be heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's important to think about how that impact ripples out in those decisions. Are there, or is there a a situation you can think of where um, you, in your business, have kind of bumped up against uh, an obstacle or a problem in in wanting to have the impact that you want to have and that you were able to work through. I always think it's helpful to hear how other entrepreneurs have worked through issues and that helps inspire the rest of us and gives us some ideas about our own uh, issues that we're facing. For me, I think the biggest issue I bumped up against was the, you know, it was my own mindset. Mm. I was holding myself back 
because of fear. And I think a lot of us feel that way. And I think your guest, I was listening to an earlier podcast, talked about that, that imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And as I listened to that whole podcast, I'm raising my hand saying, oh, that's me. That's me. That's me. (laughs) Me I know through that whole interview, I'm going, yep, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to get over that and realize that, you know, while I don't feel that anything I've done or my book is, you know, brilliant or new concepts or anything new. It's my perspective on it and it's my ability to help people apply it in a different way that makes me unique. And I had to stop that, you know, that imposter syndrome in my head from saying, oh, that person is better. You could never compete with them or Mm -hmm. someone's already done that. So don't even try, you know, and those kinds of that negative self-talk that gets in your head. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the getting through that was surrounding myself very intentionally with people who would support me. And I don't mean people who would just say, yeah, Rebecca, go do that. That's a great idea. But they would call me out if I hadn't thought through certain aspects of what I wanted to do. So, you know, I have a small group of women that I interact with that are like an advisory board for me. So Mm -hmm. when I have an idea, I'll put it forward and I'll ask for their feedback and their input. And here's what I'm thinking and help me find areas I might have missed or overlooked. And that has been a phenomenal thing because as an entrepreneur, particularly when you work by yourself, you don't you don't get that interaction you get as if you went to a company and a job and you had other people around you every day. So sure. forcing yourself to get out there and and choose people who can be your mentors, your supporters, your advisors, and whether that's a formal program you know, there are plenty of those out there, or it's something informal that you do, where a group of you get together and you agree to support each other. And it it can be, you know, just a phenomenal way to grow a business and get outside perspectives that a lot of times are what holds us back is not having that. It's so valuable to have a group of people that you can really trust and rely on to bounce ideas off of and help you work through something. Because none of us do this alone. We, uh, it's always <clears throat> our circle of connection that's really valuable in helping us uh, move through challenges. And I, yeah, and I can't imagine what my business would be like. It probably wouldn't have succeeded if I hadn't done that. I probably would have given up and gone back and gotten the dreaded J-O-B. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, Rebecca, are there is there um, a way that you ensure as your business is growing and you've been doing this a few years now, is there a way that you ensure that, ensure that you're taking care of yourself, that you're uh, – I mean, you're you as the entrepreneur, you're the most vital part of your business. So how do you make sure that you keep your energy going and and stay in the game? I keep a list of daily intentions and there are intentions every day on there that are the same. And that's my self-care. It's to have some form of exercise or activity. It's time with my husband and it 
there are a couple of core things within my business that I want to keep doing. I'm an introvert, so networking and connecting with lots of people in big groups is hard for me. So I want to make sure that I find ways that I'm always connecting with people that are within my realm of comfort and then outside of it as well. So that I have a good, healthy balance. And then I have business related intentions on those. So it could be to, you know, I was writing the book. It took a lot of dedication to sit down when I didn't want to write. And I had that <laughs> mental block and, you know, forcing myself when I would block out the time, it was like, okay, I'm going to spend only two hours on this. So I don't feel like I have to write and finish something, but I have two hours and I'm going to write whatever I can write in those two hours. And I'm not going to worry about it. When the timer goes off, I'm done. And then I can go do something else. Mm -hmm. So just having those daily intentions and I don't get through every intention every day, but I get through the most important ones and, you know, making sure just simple things like getting plenty of sleep and, you know, the flu this year has been horrendous. And so many people have been, you know, just out of, out of it because of the flu for, you know, a week and 10 days. And that is, you know, I think your immune system suffers and you become more susceptible to things like that when you don't take care of yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love that you put it that way of setting the daily intentions in all these areas, including self-care. It's, it's something I've done, but not so specifically around self-care. So I love that you have that element to it. Oh, thanks. I found that, you know, I've been doing that for about two, maybe almost three years now. And it does make a huge difference in how you feel. And, you know, your brain is so much more refreshed and clear. So it's like the, you know, the stereotypical airline, you know, put your mask on first before mm -hmm. you put on the oxygen mask for someone next to you. Because right. if you can't breathe, then you can't help anyone else. So... You know, I think it's just applying that to yourself. You have to take care of yourself first to be there for the other people who need you. Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, to wrap things up, I always do a rapid round. Uh, you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. First question, what is the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? I think it's just that you have to keep showing up. You can't do things once and say, oh, that didn't work, so I'm not going to try it again. You have to keep showing up and doing things until you see, yeah, it's working or no, it's not. And too many people give up right before that moment when the breakthrough is going to happen. So just keep showing up. Yeah, I love it. Second, what is the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I think it's that I have always sought out people who are smarter than I am or a few steps ahead of me in their entrepreneurial journey so that I could learn from them to always have that learning mindset to be on the, the cutting edge of what's happening and be able to meet the challenges that go along with that. Great. So um, that's yeah, that's been so valuable for me as well. And I'm, uh, I love that you have that perspective of learning. So, and our last wrapper brand question, what's one piece of insight or advice that you would share with another business owner is thinking, how, how can I have impact? How can I positively affect things in the world? 
I think it's, you have to find what you truly enjoy. And for me, the journey to get to this space where I am now was a lot of self-reflection. And what do I enjoy most that can also help someone else? And that's how I arrived at my passion, which is making sure all of these small businesses make it that they don't become one of those statistics that just is heartbreaking because people put their life savings in these businesses they start. And I want to see them succeed and thrive and just do well. And I think my empathy and my nurturing nature have really helped me define that impact and then put it out there in the world and just start doing it. That is great. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for everything you shared today. I know that uh, hiring skills is such an important skill set for entrepreneurs who are in growing businesses. And you're really doing some uh, great work here in helping people through that process, thinking it through, making good choices, and um, setting up systems and processes so that it, it goes well. So thank you very much for being here today. Well, thank you, Ursula. I've had a great time. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Um, If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can reach me at yoloinsights.com or by email. It's Rebecca at yoloinsights.com. And on my website, what I'd like to do is offer your listeners a free insight session. There's no obligation. It's a 20-minute call. There's a framework around it. I don't sell anybody anything. And it's just jam-packed with insights that will help them move forward. And that button to schedule that time is on the front page of my website. So I would encourage people to take advantage of that. I love that. Thank you for your generosity. I'm sure there'll be people who'll be taking advantage of that. So thank you for offering it. And thank you, Rebecca, for the work you're doing in the world. Oh, thanks, Ursula. It's, It's my passion and I love what I do. And I think that that's what makes me successful is that I can wake up every day and know that every day I'm going to help one person, if not more. Yeah, absolutely. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.